We are going to continue our study in the book of of James, and we are in part six of a four-part series, so it's going pretty good. And uh, last week, we looked at some some pretty heavy stuff, some pretty tough stuff. Tough stuff. We looked at faith and works and that old argument that's been going on in the church for some time now. And, and uh, we looked at it, and, and James is making the argument that faith without works is dead. And we're like, oh, that can't be true because this is by faith that we're saved. And, and actually, they're both true. Because he wasn't arguing that works save you. And make no mistake that your works don't save you. You can do all the right things. You can live your life perfectly. You can go to church every Sunday. You can read your Bible. You can do all that stuff. But if if you don't accept Jesus Christ into your heart by faith, none of that will get you into heaven. But if you've received Jesus Christ into your heart, if you have a saving, a real saving faith, that stuff will follow naturally. Because once you get saved, you want to be with other Christians. That's why we go to church, to be in the presence of other believers. When you get saved, you want to hear from God, so you spend time in His Word, so, you, so, he, so He'll speak to you. When, you. when you get saved, you're drawn, you want to spend time speaking to Him, so you spend more time in prayer. And you want to, you want to please Him. So you begin to live a life that is pleasing to God. It's all naturally. It's not a legalistic thing. It's just what flows out of, naturally out of a heart that's been changed and touched by the hand of God. I mean, if God actually touches you, how could you not be changed? But his argument was that believing alone was not, was not enough because general belief is not real saving faith. And what did he mean by that? Well, he said it. He was quite clear. He said, you know what? The demons... Believe in God. The demons believe in Jesus. They knew who he was. Do you remember the legion when, when Jesus was about to cast out the legion? And, and they, said, they said, son of man, what have, you, what have you got to do with us? And he's like, hush, don't tell them who I am. But they knew who he was. They believed in Jesus. But there's not going to be any demons in heaven because they don't have saving faith. They just believe. And there's plenty of people in this world, they believe in God. But they, they haven't received Jesus Christ as their Savior. And just like James says, you believe in God, you do well, but even the demons believe in shudder. We have to have a, a, a belief that is a, a faith in Jesus Christ. And then he demonstrated what that looked like, remember, with Abraham and with, with uh, Rahab the prostitute. He said, this is what it looks like when you have real faith. It's not just lip service, but you, you're going to demonstrate actions. You're going to see it in your life. And Abraham was willing, he was about to kill his son. Because he figured, if God says, I'm the father of many nations, this is my one son, this is kind of how this stuff works, then my son's got to live. He figured, in the, in the book of Hebrews, it says that, that Abraham figured that the, the one who created everything could bring his son back to life if he killed him. And he's like, you know what, I'm just going to trust God, and he's going to take care of it. And I, we know the story, he doesn't have to. God provides a, a, a sacrifice, they're stuck in the thicket instead. But that was, that was faith, real faith demands action. Real faith you live out in your life. And the same with Rahab the prostitute. She, she lowered the spies out of, out, of the, out of her window to get them away safely. And she lowered them over the wall. But she could have been killed for that. She could have been just destroyed for that. But she believed that God would honor her request. And that was that her and her family would remain safe when the city was, was overtaken. And God was faithful to her, but it re- that, that faith, that belief pre- presented as a demonstrable action in her life. And the same should go for us. When we say that we believe what God has done in our life, 
the, the way we live our lives should demonstrate what's going on inside of us. We should see that if we believe that God has freed us from addiction and He's freed us from sin, we should start living as such. That's why Paul once said, he said, homosexuals and murderers and all those, none of those are getting into the kingdom of heaven. And you're like, well, that sucks because I'm still making mistakes. But if you read on, he says, such were some of you. And what he's saying is, is that's who you were. Quit acting like that. Act like who you are now. And that's someone who's forgiven, someone who's free, victorious, righteous. Because you've been changed. You're not who you were. And then finally, we looked at, at the very end, the responsibility of being a teacher in the kingdom of heaven, being a teacher and sharing God's word with people. And he said, many of you should not do it. That's a, that's a weird encouragement, right? He's like, being a teacher is a good thing. Probably most of you shouldn't do it. And why did he say that? He said that because there's a responsibility that comes alongside of that. And uh, if you're just looking for fame, fortune, if you're just looking to be up front because you, you like people looking up to you, that's really not enough reward for the responsibility that you're undertaking. But like Paul said, Paul said, woe is me if I do anything else. You know, I told you, I was told, if you, my, I was told if, you, if you can be anything else, do it. You're like, well, that's weird advice. But the more I thought about it, the more God pressed on my heart, I realized there, there was nothing else that I could do. I was telling Pastor Jack on Wednesday, I didn't want to be a pastor. I actually told God I would never be a pastor. I didn't want to plant a home church. I told God I would never plant a church in my home. But I, I couldn't do anything else. Because God had called me and I was going to answer that call. And the truth is I could have done something else. I could have ignored it. But man, it's, I never wanted to be said that somebody else had to do the work God called me to do. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and continue on. In James 3, verses 2 through 5, it says, For we all stumble in many ways. Anybody can relate to that? I've stumbled a few times. It says, We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How, can a fo- how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You see, the imagery that's being put forth here is, is how something very small can direct and guide something very large. And it's an interesting thing here because he says, we all stumble in many ways, and, and so far we're with him. We're like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, been there. You know, you're reading my mail. And then he says, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. And you're like, what? That doesn't make it. If he doesn't stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole, his whole body. What he's saying is that the stuff that we say guide and directs our life. He's saying that, that if you'll say what God says about you, you'll begin to live out that kind of stuff in your life. And he goes to give imagery of like, this is how this works. I know it seems crazy, but let me give you some examples in real life of how this works. And the first thing he says is we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us. How many of you guys like horses? You like horses? Anybody ever ridden a horse? Who's ridden horses? You guys ridden horses? Anybody know what bridles are? You guys know how that works in the bit in the horse's mouth and how all that works? It's actually kind of a crazy thing, but horses 
are huge. They're big. If you ever had your foot stepped on by a horse, you know it. So I grew up with horses. My mom, uh, my, my grandfather had a farm in Iowa, and then my mom, we had, she bought horses. We had horses as I was growing up, and, and uh, we didn't use a bridle or, or, or the, the bit all that often. We used to use a bridle, but uh, the bit was used for particularly stubborn horses a lot of times, and you put that in your mouth, and then when you pulled on the reins, that pulled in their mouth, and that turned their head, and if you could turn their head, you could turn which way that they were going. So this little tiny piece of metal that sat in their mouth was able to take this, you know, hundreds of pound horse and you could guide it and direct it where you wanted it to go. Something so small could turn something so big. It's funny, this has got to be even more effective for people that don't like horses or that are afraid of them because most of us that have been around horses, we get that and, and you almost take it for granted what you're actually doing. This is a massive beast with a mind of its own but you're still directing it to go where you want it to go. And something so small can get it to go. It's amazing. Or like, have you ever seen, uh, have you ever seen when they have elephants out in front of like circuses and stuff or, or they have them tied to that little tiny stake in the ground? And these are massive beasts. And they, if they just pulled, they would pull that stake out of the ground, they could do whatever they want. But what they do is when they're little, they tie them to that stake. And when they're little, they're not big enough to pull the stake out. So they learn when they feel that on their leg, they can't move, and they just accept it. And they do that their whole life. And as they grow up, they recognize that, that they just remember that when this is on my foot, I can't go anywhere. So they never even try to overtake. Something so small can control something as big as an elephant. Doesn't that blow your mind? And then he goes on to talk about about ships, he says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So here we, he points out a couple things. One, something very small guides something very big. The oasis of the sea at the time that I was doing this research was the largest ship in the world. Actually, I think there's a new one coming out here pretty soon that's even bigger than that. But it is almost 1,200 feet long. That's four football fields long. Can you imagine that? And it weighs 100,000 tons. Yet the rudder, the rudder, the rudder, the rudder is approximately 50 to 100 feet wide and tall. And it's got some, 50 feet, 50 to 100 feet wide and tall. And it guides this 1,200 foot, 100,000 ton ship wherever the pilot directs. So small, yet it guides it wherever it wants to go. And the other thing that you'll notice he say, says is that it's the will of the pilot that directs it as well. You know, our, our tongue is like that as well for our lives. Our tongue is such a small piece of our body, but we can use it as the pilot to direct the direction of our life, the, the, where our life is heading. And it has a fundamental impact on the direction that our life is heading. The things that we say. And our tongue steers our life, but we steer our tongue, or at least we should. And like a fire, as he goes on to say, like a fire, it can get out of hand. Since it's a small member, yet it boasts of great things, how great a force is set ablaze by a small fire. And this I have firsthand experience with, because when I was a kid, I lived in Big Pine in Missouri, and we had a big pine forest out behind our house. And I used there was this trail that went from our house, and it went out into the, in, into the woods, and people would ride their quads or whatever out there, so it's, it had 
uh, ruts in the road where if it was raining, people would spin out and it would cause these ruts in the road. So me and a buddy of mine, we went out there and got some pine needles and we built this little fire. And, uh, uh, you know, it was fun. It was good. We got done. We covered it up with dirt. We put it out. It was all good. And uh, we left. Well, we came back from his house, you know, hours later, and the whole forest is on fire. I set a forest on fire when I was a kid. And uh, although I'm pretty sure that fire, I think I was set up, because I'm pretty sure that fire was put out. We made, we, I mean, we covered it in dirt. At least that's what I thought for the longest time. But then when I was like, I was probably like 15 years old, we had a big dirt pile in my backyard. I lived out in Whetstone, uh, which is kind of the middle of nowhere. And we had this big dirt pile in our backyard that had the, the, the top kind of carved out because it had, it had been used to fill holes and stuff. And we built a fire in there once. And we, we built a little fire and had our fun, you know, and then we covered it up with dirt, and it was completely out. And I remember as I was watching, all of a sudden, flames sprang forth through the dirt. And I'm like, that doesn't seem right. I guess I did set that forest on fire all those years ago. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, such a, but it was this little tiny fire, and, and we set acres on fire in this forest. Something so small sparked something so huge, and uh, my butt was sore for so long after that. But I suppose I deserved it in retrospect, because it was right by houses and stuff. And, but uh, yeah, such a small fire. If you, if, you don't, if you don't keep your tongue in check, it can do that in your life. And it's true that we may stumble in many ways, but the first step of getting your life in order is start controlling the things that you say with your tongue. Because what we say influences what we think. And did you know you can't actually say something for any length of time without starting to believe it? What we say influences what we think. And this is why you'll hear me tell people all the time, and I think some of you are probably like, why is he so particular about this, but I tell you, you've got to be careful with what you say. I was just talking to someone recently about referring to ourselves as sinners. You're, if you're saved, you're no longer a sinner. You may sin, but sinner is an identity. It's not what you do. So don't refer yourself. To, I hate it when Christians refer to themselves as sinners because they're not. They've been saved by grace. They are now saints. They're not sinners, even though we may sin. We're not defined by what we do. We're defined by who God says we are. And sinner is an identity. Saint is identity. So don't call yourself a sinner. You're not. You're a saint. Or when people start saying stuff like, you know, my, my diabetes or my cold or my sickness or my, you know, whatever it is. I'm like, stop, stop claiming that as your own. It's not yours. The scripture says that by his stripes you are healed. So don't claim something that's not yours is yours. The words that we say are very, very important. That's why when certain songs that we do, you know, if the, if, if the words aren't aligned with scripture, even if they're, they're, the intention was good, even if the thought process behind them was good, if it's not accurate, we don't want to sing those words because we're beginning to sing something that is untrue. There was a, uh, oh, what was the name of that song? I'm not going to remember it, so never mind. I wrote, a, I wrote a blog post about it, but she was talking about something about how, uh, the song was something about how, how God likes it when we hurt or God likes it when we cry or something like that. And the intention behind it was when we're hurting that, that you know, we hear God and stuff. But, but the, the, the way the words came across in the song was like something like God intended that and that's what he wants. And it used to frustrate me. 
and I'll find the song, and I'll tell you guys next week if I can rem- if I can remember. But it's yeah, we have to be careful with the things that we say, the things that we sing, all of those things. And that's the first step of getting our lives in order is, is influence how that we speak. And like I said, some of you guys have been like, man, he's kind of crazy with that stuff. And some of you guys could argue that I'm just mincing words and it's not that big of a deal. But I, I think James would disagree with you. What you say is important. And the truth is, is that I always love it when, when science and all those things come out and they do these studies and they just validate the Word of God. They're like, we've done a, you know, a, a 10-year, multi-billion dollar study when all they would have to do is read the Bible and they would have known what this stuff was. But the Mayo Clinic did a big study and they had an article on it. He said, here's the health benefits of positive thinking. It says, researchers continue to explore the effects of positive thinking and optimism on health. And health benefits that positive thinking may provide include increased lifespan, lower rates of depression, lower levels of distress, greater resistance to the common cold, better psychological and physical well-being, reduced risk of death from cardiovascular disease, better coping skills during hardships and times of stress. And they, they can't even figure it out why. It's unclear why people who engage in positive thinking experience these health benefits. Did you read the Word of God? They would know. Because what you say directs how your life goes. If you've ever talked to people that are in bodybuilding or any sports that are, that are, that are high-level athletes, they'll tell you that they spend time um, just away visualizing how they're going to do, visualizing what they're going to look like, visualizing, because that actually directs where their training is going, how they're going to do. It makes an impact. And that is so important for our lives as well. When we talk, when we begin to say things, we need to say what God says about us. You don't say, man, there's no way that God could love me because God says he does. You don't say, I'm, I'm a loser. There's, there's no way, you know, I'm such a sinner because you're not. If you're saved, you're not a sinner. You, you, you're, you're whole. And you can't say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so sick. I'm so this because you're not. If you say those things, you'll believe it. But instead, say what God says about you. And what does God say? He says you're victorious. He says that you're more than a conqueror. He says that you're righteous. He says that you're whole. He says that you're healed. He says that you're perfect. He says that you're holy. He says that in Him you can do anything. Say those things about yourself. Get your your mind in a line with what God says. And as you begin to say it, You're like, what if I don't believe it right now? Just begin to say it. Find the scripture that says that and begin to speak that out loud. Put those scriptures on your mirror, your fridge, your your, your walls, whatever, and read them to yourself out loud. Begin to speak it. And eventually, your your, your heart and your mind will come into alignment with the things that you're speaking. And something else that you're going to notice is that he says, though they are so large, they are driven and driven by strong winds. They are guided by the rudder. You know, in our life, we're going to come against strong winds. In our lives, we're going to come against opposition. Sometimes you're going, to, you're going to come up against winds and storms that are so strong, you're going to wonder, how could I possibly make it through this? But if you begin to say the right things, you can guide yourself even through those storms, even through those waves, even through that battering. You'll be able to guide yourself through that particularly if you're steering your tongue by the Word of God. Amen? Amen. In James 3, 6-8, it says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, 
setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Well, that doesn't sound very encouraging. You know, our tongue has the opportunity to be wilder than the wildest of animals. Our tongue, if we don't keep it under control, can say some of the dumbest, meanest, most hurtful things. It'll get you into all kinds of a mess. And it's the one thing in our bodies that can stain the entire body because it's a rudder to our life. We can talk ourselves into stuff. We can talk ourselves out of stuff. And we begin to guide and and maneuver the waters of life either in a godly manner or in an ungodly manner, depending on the things that we say, and we guide through it. And the thing that's, that's interesting to me is it says the man, that man cannot tame the tongue. Every kind of creature, beast, bird, no matter what, has been tamed by man, but no human being can tame the tongue. And that seems like we got ourselves in a dilemma. Because if, if we can't tame the tongue, what are we supposed to do? But we have to remember that With God, we can do anything. I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. Left to our own devices, we can't control that. And you know that because you see what's going on in the world today. People that don't have Jesus in their hearts that are doing and saying some of the most awful things that you ever heard and seen today. We see it all the time. I mean, just look at what's going on in our politics right now. Stuff is being said and spewed and and lives are being directed in directions they shouldn't be going because they can't control their own tongue. They need Jesus. But with God, we can control our tongue. And if we speak life, if we speak words of life, then that's the direction that our life is going to go. But if we speak words that are negative, words of death, then that's the direction that our life will go. And I want you to know that your tongue has not only power to speak blessing and encouragement in people's lives, but it has the power to hurt people and maim people and do damage to people as well. Do you guys remember the little nursery rhyme we teach to our kids? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Everybody, particularly if you're an adult, know that's not. Why do we even teach our kids that? I think it's some way to help them cope with other people not taming their tongue, other people. But the truth is words hurt. Words damage. And people have been broken by words. Not just like, oh, that kind of sucks, but broken by words. And your words have impact. So we have to choose what we're going to say into people's lives. Are we going to lift them up and encourage them, or are we going to tear them down? In Psalm 141.3, it says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I used to pray that regularly when I was going to uh, uh, working in a restaurant. I used to work in a restaurant. If you ever worked in a restaurant, it is not the most wholesome of places to work. And uh, I used to pray that every time on the way to work, God put a guard over my mouth so I would say the right things and give me opportunity to speak life into people's lives. And uh, he was always faithful, even sometimes when I didn't want him to be. You ever ask God to do something and when he does it, you're like, that was, I was just saying that, you know, we didn't... <laughs> You know, like, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And then you walk into a, a gas station, and God's like him. And you're like, but there's, there's people around. Somebody, I, mean, I, I was just saying that to sound spiritual. I didn't think you were really going to answer it. 
But yeah, I used to pray that God would set a guard over my life because I didn't want to say dumb things. Because if you knew me before, I had a tendency to say dumb things. I, I actually, I used to take pride in being brutally honest. I thought that was this thing to attain to, you know, being brutally honest. And one day I realized that I was being so honest with people, I was just hurting people. I wasn't, there was no encouragement, I was just hurting people. And that's not, that's not a way to live your life, and it's not a way to treat others. But I want you to know that if we can get our tongue under control, with ourselves being submitted to God, our tongue can build people up as well. In Ephesians 4.29 it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We should be encouraging and lifting up one another. What about speaking in the truth and love, Pastor Wayne? Anybody ever heard that? I just want to tell you this in love, brother. Well, let me tell you what speaking the truth and love means. It doesn't mean pointing out their failures. It means pointing out Christ's success in their life. If they're struggling with something, you don't tell them how dumb what they're doing is. Instead, you tell them what Christ has accomplished for them. They're struggling with a sin. You say, you know what? You, you, you've been freed from this. You have been, been made set free. You're forgiven. And, and you've been given the, the opportunity and ability to live away from this addiction or whatever it is, this sin, whatever it is. We don't point it out and make them feel bad. We remind them what Christ has done. That's speaking the truth in love. The truth in love is that you're forgiven and you're free, not that you're a failure and you'll never live up. Amen? Proverbs 18, 20 through 21 says, From the fruit of a mound's man, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of, of the tongue. You can speak life or death into someone's life. Matter of fact, your words can have some of the greatest impact in someone's life, especially if they're not a believer, and you can share the gospel with them. You can literally speak life into somebody and bring them back from the dead if they'll receive what you have to say to them. We can make an impact on people's lives with the things that we say, as well as our own lives. But the thing we have to remember is that you will be making an impact, either good or bad. But one way or the other, people are going to hear your words and it's going to make a difference. So let's choose to build people up. Let's choose to give grace to everyone that hears us speak. Amen? And in James 3, 9 through 12, it says, With it we bless our Lord and Father. He's continuing to speak of, a, of your tongue. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. You ever heard someone say, you can, would you kiss your mama with that mouth? That's basically what's being said here. He says, We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring... Pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You know that we, we do what we are. We speak what we are. If you've been saved, if your life has been changed, kind of going back to that faith and work things, we should see a difference pouring out of you. If you've been given grace and love and life, that's what should pour forth from you in your actions, in your words. We should be able to see it on you. 
And we should be a blessing to both men and God with our mouth. Because if we're blessing God on Sunday morning, but cursing our co-workers on, on, Monday, on Monday morning, then there's a disconnect. There's something going wrong. One of those two is false. Because you can't have blessings and life come out of death. And you can't have death and curses come out of life. Amen? What comes out of our mouths is a reflection of what's in our hearts. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 12, 33-35, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. You know, you know, you know a tree by its fruit? If you walk up to a tree and it's got apples on it, what kind of tree is it? Apple tree. If you walk up and the tree's got bananas on it, what kind of tree is it? Someone just say an orange tree has bananas on it. This, this, is, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> the, the kind of tree it is is what kind of fruit it is. For the first time in my life, I got to eat fresh frigs and figs at Norma's house the other day because she's got a fig tree in her yard. Frigs. They're very good. That's, they're free figs. She didn't she make me pay for them. That's, I said that on purpose. Frigs. But they were delicious. They were awesome. And she said, I got a fig tree out back. And you know what I expected to find on our fig tree? Figs. Because whatever kind of tree it is, is the kind of fruit it's going to produce. And it's no different for us. If we have life inside of us, we're going to produce life. Amen? And if we're not, then we need to question some things. We need to take a deep look inside and say, hey, am I really where I need to be? Do I, is this just lip service? Or do I actually believe what I've been saying I believe? And then he goes on to say, or the, you guys ever heard that we're going to give an account for all the the small talk that we have and what that means. Like, that seems kind of weird that we're going to even account for all the, the careless and useless words of small talk. But it's because that's the things that we say when no one's around, the things that we say when we don't think the pastor is listening. That's the stuff that comes out of the abundance of our heart. That's why we'll give an account for that stuff. And we should really take a look at what has been flowing from our mouths. Recently, take, take a step back and think about what you've been saying over the past week. Take stock of what's, what have I been saying. Has blessing been pouring out? Is it, what does this reveal about me? Am, am I producing life or am I, am I producing curses in people's life? Have I been saying good things? And if not, start making a choice today to say the things that God says about you and about others. Don't speak negatively about yourself. Remind yourself that you are valuable to God. Don't talk yourself down because God says you're more than that, that you're victorious. Have you been speaking negatively about others? Begin speaking what God says about them, that they are worth dying for. And that he loved them, so I'm going to love them. Pray that you would have the eyes and mind of Christ. And if they're Christians, remember that they are redeemed and perfect in Him, just like you are. 
And if they're not, then remember that God valued them so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for them. Amen? But let's make that choice today. All that stuff's a choice. Begin saying the right things. Begin saying, well, how do I know what to say, Pastor? How do I know what's right? Read what the Word of God says about you and about others. That's how you can learn what to say. That's the easiest thing. Same with praying. If you ever want to learn how to pray and be effective at it, just repeat Scripture. That was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And come to the prayer meeting. You learn how to pray. If you come to the prayer meeting, you see people that know how to pray, pray. You ever hear me pray? That's all I'm doing half the time. It's just quoting Scripture. I figure if I quote what God says, it's going to be effective. And the same thing about people's lives. Speak blessing and life into their lives. Amen? So let's be a people. We're going to go ahead and end there today because I'm out of time. But uh, we will go ahead and uh, uh, let's just resolve to do that. Let's just make that uh, choice in our hearts right now to be a people who speak life. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Hallelujah.